back. Good to be with you all this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's right near the end of the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As you turn there, I'll just highlight one other thing that you can sign up for today, which is that we have a midweek gathering starting in just a few weeks. Um, if you want to know how we structure our small groups and classes here at the church, we have seasons where we do uh, community groups. That is on uh, various nights of the week. That's where we're in right now. Those will end in the next couple of weeks, and we start a midweek gathering at that point that'll be here at the church for four weeks this time, and we're going to be splitting into men's and women's groups on uh, Wednesday nights for those four weeks. I believe October 26th, if someone wants to double-check that, that that's a Wednesday. Okay, I got a thumbs up. Um, Robbie's in on the calendar. He knows his calendar. So, okay, the 26th it is. We have men's and women's groups meeting here at the church. Uh, there will be child care. Uh, but you have to sign up for it. So sign up for it. Let us know what kids are coming and that you'll be able to be a part of that. Again, everything that you can sign up for is two forms. You can grab that card in front of you uh, and, and fill it out and say, I want to be part of the midweek gathering. Drop it off in the box on the way out. That's one way. That's the analog way. You can also hover your phone over that QR code and sign up for any of the things that we were talking about this morning. While we finish out the book of 1 Thessalonians today, we are committed to going through 2 Thessalonians, the three chapters that follow this book. Paul has been writing this first letter to the Thessalonians, uh, concerning himself with their, uh, their early faith, their good early faith in, in the Lord, and, and watching that blossom, also telling them about the coming of the Lord and how important that is. And, and we've been looking at that the last couple of weeks. We're going to finish out this book today and then continue straight into the three chapters of 2 Thessalonians. But today we're starting in verse 12 of chapter 5. Let's read to the end of the book. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So begin with a confession uh, today that I took the bait uh, a couple months ago. I did something that I never do. Um, I made... 
a slightly argumentative comment on a YouTube video, <laughs> all right? I never do this. Um, history has shown that that's not the most effective way. I don't know who needs to hear that uh, this morning, but there are better ways to solve controversies than commenting online. But a couple of months ago, uh, I saw this video pop up, and it was about the Bible, and it was about theology, and uh, I'm not going to go into the details of it. I don't want you to look it up. Um, but I disagreed strongly with this person who was posting this, and, um, and the whole video was very much baiting, you know, this kind of comment, this like, argue with me, please. And I took that bait, and I began to argue with this person. Now, um, he was uh, very strong in his position. I, I think I was kind. I don't think I said anything uh, ungodly or anything like that. But it began this exchange six or seven comments later, right? And it's like a drug. It's like a drug to, to start a conversation with someone where you think that you're going to win them over. And so what happened was um, he would comment and then I would immediately comment. And then he would comment, and then I would immediately comment again. There was no space uh, for reflection. And so at the end of the day, we just had to stop. And believe it or not, the issue wasn't solved, right? That didn't happen. This is the way that we respond often. We, we don't give any space to our reflection. We're often just just going back and forth with one another, and we take the bait. And it's not just on media. It's not just on social media or Facebook or YouTube or wherever it is that we might feel um, that we need to do this. But just in our own relationships with one another as well, we, we feel the need to respond always and quickly. We jump in and we offer an opinion. We offer a perspective. And this is very tempting to do all the time. We have a bias that believes that perspective is more important than peace. That if, if I can offer my perspective, then this person will see it. That's more important than, than being at peace with someone. Now, certainly, the Bible says that at times, peace cannot be achieved between people. There are times where peace can even be made an idol, and we avoid saying hard things that we need to say, and we, have, we put our head in the sand, and we avoid the hard things for the sake of peace, but actually that's a moment that we need to stand up. That is certainly the case sometimes, but I wonder if it's our main problem. I don't think that it is. I think that our main problem is, is that we often feel the need to justify ourselves and speak quickly into situations rather than being patient with everyone. That is what Paul says in verse 14. He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We're called to patience, even to the weakest among us. Now, I have to confess that uh, this is an area of, of personal weakness for me. I am not someone who was born with a lot of patience. If you talked with my family growing up, you would say I'm high control, you know, high need to solve problems. And this is not something that I'm coming with saying, this is one of those that 
that was hard for me to write because this is not something that I feel gifted at. I feel like what I'm constantly doing, even now, even in my family, is apologizing in this way. I spoke too soon. I was too quick. I didn't think through how that impacted you. In fact, what I'm often apologizing for is that it didn't create space around the relationship, the space that peace required, because that's what Paul is saying here, that to, in order to have peace, we have to give a space around our relationships. Here's what I want us to see this morning. In order to be at peace with everyone, we must practice the patience I'm calling that giving space that the gospel demonstrates. In order to be at peace with everyone, we have to practice giving space, that patience that the gospel itself teaches us to give to one another. When I, the reason why I call patience giving space is because that's literally what it means. One of the definitions of patience, this Greek word here, is this, the control that is exhibited by delaying an action. That's what patience is. The control that is exhibited by delaying an action. There is a wisdom, there is a control that comes when we delay, we give some space before we act. Before speaking. Before feeling wronged. Before attacking. Before commenting. We give some space. The psychologist who survived the Holocaust, Viktor Frankl, um, said this, and I think it's a lot of common grace wisdom that he gives us. He said this, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. Between stimulus and action, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In other words, between how we want to react to something and how we do, there is a space. And what we're asking this morning is how wide is that space, that patience, that peace requires? There must be a space. And this, I believe, is the thread that runs through this passage. This is an overwhelming passage for us to read. As I count it, there are 19 commands in these few verses that Paul closes out. 19 commands to us. But running through them is this idea of a patient and peaceful community. That's what he's calling us to and so three things that we need to pursue this morning that will encapsulate that. Number one, external peace. Secondly, internal peace. And then third, divine peace. All of these are the peace that patience requires, the giving space requires. Number one, external peace. Paul begins by instructing us that we need to be at peace with those who are around us. And in particular, he mentions two major groups, leaders and strugglers. Those are who he targets this call to, that we need to give space to people. First, leaders. It's interesting. He starts here. We ask you, brothers, verse 12, 
to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. Interesting. These leaders that he's talking about, those who are over them are almost certainly the elders that Paul had set up in the Thessalonian church. And his command to them is this, we ask you to respect them. The word there is actually just to know, to know, to, in other words, acknowledge them. Don't write them off. Acknowledge them because, they, he says, of their labor and their work. Isn't it interesting that Paul begins here? And I hope it's not a pity party uh, for an elder speaking before you to say this, but the, to labor in this way is hard work. And all of those elders and leaders here, deacons, team leaders who are working hard, are working very hard. And he begins his discussion about peace by saying, why don't you give them some space? Part of living in peace is understanding and acknowledging that leadership is hard. Conversely, one of the ways that peace is most often disrupted is when there is no patience or support for leaders. This is why I believe that Paul starts here. Give them some space. Acknowledge them. Know them. That's where he begins. But then he be, so he begins, in other words, if you want to look at it this way, at the top of the church, the leadership of the church. But then he goes all the way to those who are contributing, you might say the least, the strugglers of the church. That's the second group that he says in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. These three groups are those who are struggling in the church. He says the idle, we could say the undisciplined there, those who are struggling to get off their feet, the faint-hearted. The best way to understand this word is those who are discouraged. I think about Isaiah chapter 42 where it says about God that a bruised reed he will not break. God will not break the bruised reed. That sense of faint-heartedness is there, the discouraged. What about the weak? He says the weak or the ill even. This could be a physical ailment or it could be a spiritual ailment. And he says to these three groups, be patient with them all. In other words, exhibit the control that is achieved when you delay an action. I think that we can get this wrong in at least a couple of different ways. When we have an impatience towards the weak, first, we could just get annoyed that anyone needs help. Have you ever been in this place where the fact that somebody needs something is almost annoying to you? The fact that people are struggling makes us tired of them. Particularly for those of us who perhaps at least put up a front of having it all together. There can be an irritation that comes with helping the weak. We can do this even in our own families. 
with our children. How much, we might ask ourselves, of our irritation with our children is simply because of their weakness. Children are weak. They haven't been through as much life as we have. Yes, they're often idle. They're often undisciplined. They get discouraged. They are weak and they get sick more often. Do we jump to just admonishing them, even in their weakness? Maybe even with our spouses, we sometimes simply are upset with our spouses because they are discouraged or because they're going through a hard time and we simply don't want to deal with it. Sometimes we get annoyed that people need help in general. But he says here that the strugglers need our patience. We need space around our relationships. That's the first way that we can get it wrong is that we can just jump to an annoyance. The second way is that we could apply good remedies but to the wrong problems. He gives very specific instructions here. He says, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We can misapply a remedy. Instead of admonishing the idle, uh, we may be tempted to admonish the discouraged or the faint-hearted. You shouldn't be feeling this way. Get a grip on yourself. Or conversely, perhaps, in the spirit of doing well, we try to help the undisciplined, but we end up hurting them because we we really just promote a cycle that keeps them down. This is hard. How do we know which remedy applies to which problem? And I think the answer to that is that we have to have patience. Be patient with them all. You insert that space. It means we don't always just speak our mind. When somebody is struggling in some kind of way, we don't actually know at first, whether they're just idle or whether they really need help. We don't always know at first. Don't think that everybody fits into the same box, I think that Paul is saying here. We have patience to step back, to pray for someone, to ask intentional questions. What is the real struggle here? Not every problem is a nail and not every solution is a hammer, in other words. And Paul says we need patience for everyone because we can hurt one another. If we're not careful, if we rush in to give remedies to the wrong problems. Look at verse 15 with me. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That takes space. Patience means that when someone wrongs us, we even have the space before we retaliate, before we say anything, in order to do them good rather than harm. This is what peace requires, a patience, a giving of space. And it's true in our relationships, external peace, 
in the church is one of Paul's goals here in Thessalonians to say, can we just have some space for one another, for the leaders and for the least of these, so that we can all be patient together. He shifts then to talk about internal peace, internal peace. He shifts away from the external virtues of being patient with those who are around us to internal ones, and he describes the kind of inner life that leads to patience. I think the reason that Paul does this is because he knows that peaceful people promote peace. It's those who are at peace, not just with those around them, but inside themselves. They have that internal peace that then gives them the space to be with others. Look at these commands in verse 16 that are overwhelming at first. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. These ideas that this is something that is these internal commands. It's overwhelming to think about. Maybe translate it this way to help you understand it. Not just pray without ceasing or rejoice always, but keep on rejoicing. Keep on praying. Keep on giving thanks. The idea here is not incessantly. Rather, the idea is in every season. In every season, these things should be evident in the Christian life. No matter what, Christians can still pray, even if they're in jail or they're in stocks somewhere, they're being persecuted, they can still pray. Christians are always able to give thanks even in very hard circumstances, not saying incessantly like every single thing that comes along it's that you're thankful for, but in every season it is true that you are breathing and that God is giving you that life and that breath for this moment. There is always a sense of rejoicing because we have Christ Jesus. And if we have Christ, then we have everything that we need for life and godliness, as Peter tells us. And so there are some things that situations cannot take away from us. Do you see how these things promote patience and peace? To be able to rejoice in any circumstance, to be able to say thank you, to be able to turn to the Father and be, pray in every circumstance that promotes a kind of peace. We are people of peace because we have these things that no one else can take away. Even when things are hard and other things come up, look at verse 19 with me. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. As people come into your life and they have prophecies, they have opinions, they have perspectives, he says, test them out. The word test there means to approve of something after a period of scrutiny. In other words, space. Giving 
space, looking at what people are saying, seeing what's good and what's evil. We can be the type of people that as things come at us, we are slow enough to test them, to give them that space that leads to peace. Thirdly and finally, he ends by showing us divine peace. He ends with a prayer, beautiful blessing, a benediction. And he shows us in this blessing where the source of our peace is. This has been a question that we've asked ourselves throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians. How can we know what our hope is, what our source of peace and life is? What is that source? What gives us that comfort that we can actually have peace with God and with others? A couple of weeks ago, I was at a convenience store uh, here close to my neighborhood, and I was checking out at the line, and there was nobody else in the store, so the guy behind the counter and I were just chatting, and he's telling me all about his horrible day. This happened, I had a fender bender, this is going on with my daughter, um, and it just went on for a long time. There's nobody else in the store, so we just talked for a while. And um, I'm just listening to him. He finishes this story. We, uh, I check out, and as, as I'm leaving, I say to him, I'm really sorry about your day, that you had such a horrible day. And I hope, I said, that tomorrow will be better. And I remember that he pointed right at me and he said, it will be. <laughs> it will be. Just with that confidence of like, it's going to happen. And I wanted to ask, I thought about this as I was walking out to my car. I was like, how does he know? How, do, how can you assert confidence into that situation? It could be, but it may not be. The expectation of a better tomorrow is built into us. We want things to improve, so much so that we're willing to say without reason, without hope necessarily, that it will be better. Think about that when it comes to peace. So often we think about peace on earth. This will be achieved one day. I believe it will be achieved one day. But what is the reason for that? How can we expect the better tomorrow? How can we know that, this, that our issues with one another and our need to comment on each other's lives and our need to just be right about things will be solved? I think the answer to that is found in God himself because God is peace. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul be and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is associated with God himself. It is his essential character. How does he introduce peace to us? He does so by introducing space into the story. Think about the Garden of Eden. The promise of the Garden on the day that you eat of the fruit, the day that you walk away from me, you will surely die. And that's true, of course, in one sense that they did die. But instead, he gave us a story of redemption. 
that gave space and time for his purposes to be fulfilled in the world. God is patient and promoting peace. He is peaceful and patient even with those who rebelled against him. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. He gives you that space not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is God's essential character, patience, the God of peace. And the story of redemption is His way in the unfolding of time to mature and bring back His humanity that has rebelled against Him. And this patience is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I couldn't help but think of Jesus when I read verse 15, when he says this, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Where do we see this principle the clearest? It is in the person of Jesus Christ, who redeemed us. He, when he was wronged, did not wrong in return, but received the wrongdoing so that we could be at peace with God. This is what he did. He sought to do us good who who wronged him. We wronged God. We broke the peace. We had a unity with God in the Godhead, and we broke the trust. And God did not repay that evil with evil. Rather, he sought to do good. As it says here, don't repay evil for evil. Seek to do good. The the word seek there is actually the idea of pursuit. Run after the good. Run after those in the church in order to show them good. Even those that have wronged you. This, This is what God in Christ has done for us. Rightfully, God has been called the hound of heaven like the hunting dog on the trail. At first, a jarring image, an image of pursuit that the hound of heaven would be after us. Yes, he is, but when we see he's pursuing us not to repay the evil that we gave to him, but to do to us the good that we don't deserve. And he pursues us still. God in Jesus Christ on the cross secured peace and will one day establish peace forever. He is faithful, this passage says. He will surely do it. He will sanctify you completely, those who have trusted Him, your whole spirit and soul and body, every part of you to be kept blameless for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the power of for the peace. This is the power for the space that we would provide others. It's not just that we need to get better at providing space to one another. It's that we need more of God, more of Christ, more of the God of peace to to show us, to empower us what he has done for us in Christ. And when we see that over and over again, we return to the gospel. It creates in us a space for others. This is what God has forgiven me. 
poor. This is, this is what he has done for me, and I don't need to hold that other person to account. I don't need to comment. I don't need to hold them in derision. I don't have to be frustrated with that person who needs help because God in Christ has helped me. God is patient with us. Hear this. He is not put off by our weakness. He's not disappointed in our performance. He doesn't seek to repay evil for evil. He is not angry or vengeful towards us. He is patient, not wanting any to perish. And so, to find peace, you must find the God of peace. He is the only source. When you trust in him, the scripture says your whole body, soul, and spirit will be kept blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray.